This morning's scripture is from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 13, and it's on page 812 in your pew Bibles if you want to follow along that way, or it's on the screen. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as, is, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the, for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he was, this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Or if you need a, uh, to use the Pew Bible, it's on page 812, 813, I think. As we all get there, let's once again pray. Lord, thank you that you have given us access to your word, these words that have been inspired by your Holy Spirit many years ago. We know that they still speak with power to us today. And so we pray that you would illuminate, shine light on these words for us today, here and now, so that we could understand what you're saying to us and live out uh, the truths in this word. In Christ's name, amen. Our culture loves to exaggerate, doesn't it? And to, to hype people up with big expectations. So, uh, Amazon Prime Days are coming up, and it's, they're talking about epic deals and must-have things, and it's like all the hype, all the inflation of expectations. Any new, you know, you watch a TV sh ad for any new gadget or type of medicine, and it's like, this is a revolutionary new product that's going to change the way we think about personal fitness, you know? One of my favorite examples is um, comes from Meg's hometown of Adams, New York. 
where there's an automobile dealership called Fusillo's. Fusillo's Auto Mall. And it's kind of a big deal in the region of upstate New York. Um, there was a local uh, ad on local TV when Meg and her brothers were growing up, which featured Mr. Fusillo out in front of the lot with a bunch of balloons and like inflatable gorillas and all kinds of stuff. And he was with a, a salesperson named Tom, a car salesman named Tom. And at the very end of the ad, you know, stop in for the Fusillo's sales event, blah, 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 blah. Mr. Fusillo says, it's going to be huge, Tom. It's going to be huge. And Meg and her brother still quote that anytime they want to <laughs> talk about something. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. <laughs> Most of the time, though, when there's that much hype, the reality is a letdown, isn't it? Like, we can't possibly live up to these expectations. Uh, but what I want to tell you today is that in the gospel of Jesus, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. We can't possibly emphasize enough how, how important it is, how amazing it is, how earth-shattering it is that God entered into his creation in the person of Jesus Christ and changed everything. Um, the sermon series that we're in now is called This Changes Everything because as the Gospel of Mark tells us, the coming of Jesus and what he did does change everything in the world. So, um, part A of this sermon will be to understand how Mark shows in this opening section that Jesus' coming is a really big deal. There's a radical new beginning for the world happening in the coming of Jesus. And he does that by linking us to different parts of Scripture that talk about new beginnings. Okay, so that's part A of the sermon. Part B will to be to look at the surprising thing that happens after Jesus comes. Because uh, the expectations are built up Jesus comes, but then what he does is not what people would expect. And I would argue it's much better than we would expect. So that's where we're going this morning. How, first, how does this passage announce the new beginning? And second, what is the surprising good news for us today? Well, a new beginning. Uh, the gospel of Jesus is not just a continuation of the story of the Bible, even though it is. It's also a radical new beginning. And Mark fills his first section here with words and images that are like exclamation points telling us new beginning, new beginning, new beginning. So if you would indulge me, put on your Bible study hats for a minute. And I'm going to ask a few questions. This is interactive. I want you to, to talk to me here. So here's an easy one. Um, what are the, f the, th the first three words of the English Bible? In the beginning. Very good. Okay. Do you notice anything in verse 1 that might be referring to that? The beginning of the good news. Mark is doing this on purpose. He's saying this is a brand new creation happening with the coming of Jesus. There's a new reality. Well, here's, an, here's another, another relatively easy one. We're going to jump around in this part. So down at verse 10... 
where Jesus is baptized, and we'll get to why he was baptized later. But it says a dove comes down. The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. Where else have we seen a dove like, say, in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8? Noah, when the world had this new beginning after the flood, and Noah sent out the dove that came back with the olive branch in its mouth. A new beginning. Okay, here's another one. Where is all of this happening? Where is John the Baptist doing his ministry? At the Jordan River, right? In the wilderness at the Jordan River. Now, in the story of Israel, what happened when Israel was set free from slavery in Egypt? They went into the wilderness to have a new beginning as a people, right? And then... After 40 years of wandering and of God refining them, they finally get to the land of promise. Joshua chapter 3. They're standing at the edge of the what? The Jordan River. About to enter the promised land. It's the threshold of their new beginning as a people again. Do you see how Mark is saying again and again here, new beginning, new beginning, new beginning. It's pretty cool. This is the stuff that I kind of geek out about as a a Bible guy. And we should too. Now here's one more thing that signifies a new beginning. And it's what John the Baptist or John the Baptizer does. Verse 4 says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John is saying, the king is coming, and we need to get ready by, by changing our minds, repenting, turning from sin, and guess what? You can have forgiveness of your sin. You can have a clean slate. So that's a new beginning, isn't it? A personal new beginning. Baptism was actually not a common ritual in Judaism at the time. It was only done for non-Jews who wanted to convert to become Jews. And so they would have to go through, if you're a male, you had to get circumcised, you had to learn the Torah. Um, But at the end of all that, you had to be baptized to signify washing away all your old life and entering this new covenant community. That's a new beginning. It was also shocking that John the Baptist was telling other Jews that they had to be baptized to prepare for this person coming and to have their sins forgiven. John himself is this figure that that makes us think of Elijah, the prophet, this fiery confrontational prophet in 1 Kings, right? Remember him? He wore a leather belt and a camel's hair suit, uh, a shirt, just like John the Baptist. So John... uh, and in the Hebrew Bible, Elijah is supposed to come before the Messiah comes. So, so John is in the, in the character of, of John, of, of Elijah, excuse me. Okay, one more, and this is my favorite. This is my favorite. In verse 10, once again, as Jesus is being baptized, he comes out of the water and it says, Jesus saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. 
that phrase is very important, that heaven was torn open. Matthew and Mark and, uh, sorry, Matthew and Luke talk about heaven being opened, but Mark says it was torn open. That's a very violent word, right? What happens when you tear something? Can you put it back together? No. Last week, I was playing in the yard with our puppy, Pax, and he grabbed onto my pant leg with his jaws, and he, I went one way and he went the other way, and I heard a big <laughs> And I looked down, and sure enough, there's a huge tear in my pants. Like, oh, great. Because when something is torn, it can't be just put back together the way it was before. There's a, there's a new state of affairs that they can't be reversed. And so Mark is saying that when Jesus was baptized, when he began his ministry, the separation between human space and God's space was torn open. And there's a new reality. There's a new world that we are living in because of Jesus coming. He was probably also thinking of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 64, verse 1, the prophet is, is longing for God to come and, and fulfill his promises and silence his enemies. And so he says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Tear, rend. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And Mark is saying, Look, when Jesus came, the heavens were rent. The heavens were torn open. God has come down in the person of Jesus and everything is different now. Mm. So here's what this means to us, I think, that we need to remember today. Friends, oftentimes we think in our day and age, we think that being a Christian is the stable, traditional, conservative thing to do. Because often people who are conservatively minded are Christians, right? But what I want you to understand and, and never lose sight of is that being a Christian, following Jesus, is to be part of a radical new reality where things can be unpredictable, where, where life is different than, than life that is outside Jesus, um, and where things are unexpected. Uh, the gospel disrupts the world and disrupts the order of things here. So don't settle into a comfortable sort of, this is the way things are, it's always been this way, Christianity. Following Jesus is a radical act. Reality is different, radically different in Christ. That's what I want you to see first. Okay, here's the surprise, though. Here's the surprise. So, Jesus, Jesus is the embodiment of this new reality. And, and why is Jesus the embodiment of this new reality? Because he is God himself in the flesh. Uh, Mark makes that pretty clear. Well, the, the John the Baptist quotes two scriptures from the Old Testament. One is from Malachi and one is from Isaiah. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. 
A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. These are scriptures that talk about the coming of God himself to his people. And Mark is saying these are fulfilled with John the Baptist. This is John's message that someone, uh, someone great is coming. John himself said, I am not even worthy to untie his sandals, which was a slave's job in this culture. So whoever's coming after me, and you've got to realize, John was a very popular person. John, and some historians think John the Baptist had as big or bigger impact than Jesus himself. Like the historian Josephus wrote way more about John the Baptist than he did about Christ. And we read in Acts that there are disciples of John the Baptist all over the ancient world. So John was a, was a pretty important guy. And he says, the one coming after me is so important, so lofty, so mighty, so holy, that I can't even touch his feet. Right? And so all the expectations are built up for the coming of this Messiah. And then we read verse 9. Which says what? At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth. Wait a minute. Nazareth was a, like a Bakersfield kind of a community. No, no, I'm not throwing shade on Bakersfield. <laughs> it was like a, a, maybe more like a Belvedere, right? It's not a place that a lot of people move to. Bakersfield is, I guess, but... It's the type of community that it's like nothing's really there. You don't move to that place. Nazareth was this hilltop, tiny backwater village. And so, wait, this, the Messiah is coming from, from there? Okay, but it gets more surprising. And he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Why would this... this holy person coming from God in the power of God himself need to be baptized. Because John was saying, come and repent of your sins and be forgiven and be baptized. So, obviously, Jesus wasn't being baptized to repent of his sins. Why was he baptized? Have you ever thought about that? He, he didn't have sins to repent of. He didn't have to go through that. The only reason that Jesus was baptized was to identify with us, was to identify with sinners who need to be forgiven, to walk in our shoes, as Meg said in her prayer, to, 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 to know what it's like to be a human. He identifies with sinners. This is surprising that the, the creator God, the Messiah who's come, the Holy One, with all the power and all the, the, the authority and all the privilege in the universe, his first public act would be to identify with sinners. Isn't that amazing? And it gets, it gets more interesting. So he's baptized the voice, God's voice says, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Right? 
That is the voice of, the God, of God the Father just pouring out his love and affection on his son. Remember that. We'll come back to that. But then right after Jesus is baptized, what happens? The Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tested, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. So, wow. So, so God comes in the person of his son. The first thing he does is identify with sinners. The second thing he does is to suffer. And it's not accidental. He is sent into the wilderness to suffer, to do battle with Satan, and to be with the wild animals. Now, the people reading this letter of Mark, or book of Mark, the first group of people reading this were probably Christians in Rome. That's who Mark was writing to. And Mark was writing at a time when the Emperor Nero was persecuting Christians in Rome. Mary and Chip Cipinelli were in Rome this summer, and they were at the Colosseum. They were at the Colosseum, which was this huge arena, a sporting arena, and one of the, the entertainments was to take Christians who had been, been you know, um, found out that they were believers and, and brought them into the arena and watch wild animals come and attack them and eat them. That was entertainment in, that, in Roman culture. And so Mark is writing to suffering Christians in Rome saying, look, I know that you, you faced wild animals in the Colosseum. But Jesus faced wild animals first. He went into the wilderness with the wild animals to suffer and to identify with those who suffer. So Jesus identifies with sinners and with sufferers. That's a surprise to me, and it should be a surprise to all of us, that this, this new reality um, in this new world, the one with all the power and all the authority and all the privilege lays that down for us, for weak people, for sinful people, for suffering people. That gets me pretty excited, too. And here's why. Because if we ever think that God is, is far away, that he's distant, that he's remote, that he doesn't know what we're going through, or that he looks at us in our sin and turns his back on us, that's not true. The first thing Jesus did was to identify with sinners. The second thing was to suffer, probably more than we suffer, but to identify with sufferers. So if you are sinful, Jesus knows what it's like. And he identifies with you. And he came to save you. If you are suffering, if you're in the wilderness, Jesus knows what that's like. Because he did it as well. You know, we talk a lot th these, this day and age about privilege and different groups of people having different privileges and, and make of that what you will. But I know 
that the one who had all the privilege in the universe used that privilege for us. That was, was how he served us, by laying down his privileges. Philippians 2 says, Though Jesus had equality with God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he became a servant. He took on the nature of a servant, became a man. He humbled himself to death, even to death on a cross. And Mark is going to tell that story of how Jesus humbled himself to identify with sinners and it, caught, it, it sent him to the cross. You know, the second place in Mark where that word torn is used is at the end of the book when Jesus dies. Mark says the veil in the temple that separates the courtyard from the holy place where only priests could go was torn from top to bottom. Because when Jesus paid the price for our sin, when he suffered for us and with us, the barrier between us and God was ripped apart. And things will never be the same again. Because Jesus laid himself down for us, we have access to God in a way that, that should blow our minds. What a friend we have in Jesus who laid down his life for us. So the main takeaway this morning is to set your eyes on Jesus and to know that whatever you're going through, whether it's caused by your own sin or whether it's just suffering, Jesus is for you. He is identified with you to come and rescue you. So um, don't let yourself believe the lie that God is far away or that God doesn't care or that you are too sinful for him to approach. You can always turn to him. And the second thing I want you to take away is this. Mark will show us that Jesus is now the model for how we should live. So if you have, if you have a position of privilege, if you are a, a boss of some kind, or a parent, or a person in authority, how do you use that authority and that privilege for the sake of others? Are there things you ask your... Um, employees to do that you wouldn't do yourself, right? Or uh, are you willing to lay down your privilege to help others and to use your privilege um, to, to, to pour yourself out on behalf of other people? So think about that this morning because Jesus is now the new model for how life should be. This is the way things actually are in the kingdom of God, which is this new reality. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. The, 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 the greatest among you is the servant of all. This is the new um, system and way things work in the kingdom of God. So may we um, use that as our model for relationships 
and for how we do church and for how we live in our families and not live according to the world. I don't have a wonderful conclusion today, so that's, this is the end of my sermon. (laughs) May we go and do, put into practice what we've heard today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming for us. For your, thank you for your surprising humility and self-emptying and the willingness you had to suffer on our behalf. Thank you for moving toward us in our sinfulness to identify with us. And Lord, I pray that these truths would be so deeply um, deeply encouraging to us that, that we would love you more and we would keep our eyes fixed on you. And we also pray, Lord, that you'd help us to live in the kingdom of God by laying down our lives for others. And it's in your name we pray.